Welcome to the You Need More Money podcast. I'm your host, Matt Monero, where I come to you from my studio every week in Dallas, Texas. It's my first podcast back from my trip in Costa Rica. Boy, what a family trip that was, man. Our second time, we go back to the same place. We went to this place called The Palms in Playa Flamingo, Costa Rica. And if you ever get a chance to go there, there's only one place to stay, and it's The Palms. And it's just I'm telling you, it's one of the, I don't know how you can beat this place. It's 30 villas right on the ocean. They're wrapping a horseshoe in a horseshoe bay. The sun sets right over the beach, literally right in front of you. The stars drop on top of you like you can reach up and grab them. It's just, it's just one of the most amazing family vacations you can take. So again, it's called the Palms in Playa Flamingo. They didn't pay me a nickel. I paid through the ass to stay there. There's no endorsement that I'm getting paid for. There ain't no free rooms. I'm not trading an endorsement for a villa. Believe me, I paid full price for it all, and you should too. It's fantastic. My guest today is Kyle Brost. He's the CEO of Spark Policy Institute, founder of Choice Strategy Group, a member of Ford's, Forbes Coaches Council, and friends with my pal Hank Norman. Kyle, what the hell do you do? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, you know, I do a lot of uh, a lot of things actually. So, uh, Spark Policy Institute is a research and evaluation firm. So, we are uh, performing research and evaluation for literally some of the world's biggest challenges and problems. Um, so, you know, infant mortality among minority women, uh, sustainable fishery practices across 15 countries, um, healthcare access, poverty. I mean, some of these massive uh, challenges that our world faces, and, and we research them to find out what are the potential solutions. So that's uh, one business that, that I run, and we have a team there that does all of that great work. Um, I'm the founder of Choice Strategy Group, which is a, a traditional corporate strategy firm um, where we focus on what we call absolute value creation, which is ensuring that it's not just strategic in that it makes money, but that it's really creating value for the world. And then uh, just as an individual, I do a lot of executive coaching, um, strategy consulting, speaking, writing, those kind of things. You know, you mentioned the Forbes piece. So it's uh, it's a bit everywhere, but that's uh, <laughs> it's a little bit of what I do. But work with me just a little bit on it, because your um, the thread that's common through all of those is this concept of value in a large global type scale. Is that reasonable that you you're looking to be involved with the solution of large problems, not small problems. Is that fair to say? It is fair to say. Yeah. I mean, my focus really is on kind of big systems, large scale challenges and problems that people are facing. What made you go in that direction? Because you and I share a common story in that we both at one point in time in our lives tried to sell products or services to broke college kids. We both thought we were going to get rich and we both failed miserably at it, right? I chose to, to, to sell stupid t-shirts. I spent my entire summer earnings on, all, all in on a truckload of t-shirts. I lost my ass. And you bought a carpet cleaning company, thought you were going to clean college dorm rooms and, and make plenty of money on it. And that didn't go so good for you either. So no, it didn't. What, what made you move and pivot in this type of a direction from this entrepreneurial side of things? 
You know, it was uh, it was definitely a long process. It was, you know, it was not something that just happened in one day and all of a sudden I pivoted. Um, it was a very long process. You know, I think I recognized early on that I wanted to do more than just make money. Um, but why? Also, why? Why did you? What do you think was a reason for that, Kyle? Because I haven't reached that point in my life, right? <laughs> so tell me why? Why did you? Why? What? What event said? There's more to it all than money. It was uh, it was recognizing that even when I was making more money, um, nothing about my life was really changing. And I mean, like the satisfaction kind of thing. You know, obviously I could get a nicer car, a nicer house, but I found that those things just they didn't sustain satisfaction. It's like, yeah, the new car is great for a few days, but then it's an old car. And yeah, but do you think that some of that was connected? And, and, and I don't know your numbers on this, but do you think that it was that the numbers just weren't big enough to to actually begin to, to convert satisfaction to it? Because, you know, for me, when the numbers got big, it, life got a hell of a lot better, period, end of story. When the numbers were small, I used to say some stuff like, ah, oh, you know, it's a, I mean, really, do I need a nicer car? And then when the number, or, you know, a nicer house or whatever, do I need a nicer boat maybe? But then when the numbers got real big and none of that stuff actually mattered anymore, all I kept saying to myself was, geez, I really want more of this green stuff. <laughs> You know, I think there was an element of that, but the under, you know, and, and you're absolutely right. I don't want to discount that having money makes life easier. Uh, I mean, that's just a, a reality of the situation. When you have more money, life uh, in many ways gets easier. But I found that my life wasn't necessarily getting better at the same scale as my money was. So it's like my money's going like this, but my satisfaction is going like this. And that's where I found the disconnect was it wasn't my satisfaction and enjoyment and really fulfillment wasn't progressing at the same scale that the money was. Mm. And that's where I saw the disconnect between the money and what it is that I really, really wanted to achieve. And ultimately, my perspective is that I want to do both, right? I don't, I don't want to not make money. Uh, I absolutely want to keep making money, but I also want that satisfaction and fulfillment and those things that I'm really core to uh, to be uh, progressing at that same scale and, and level. So I always find that, I mean, I, I always find it very intriguing to me when people have made those decisions. Um, and like I said a minute ago, I have not made that decision. Like my sole purpose in being in business is core value number one, which is company profits. Like there is no customer service connection to it. There is, uh, there, there is number one core value is the company must be profitable. And secondarily to that, if we can do cool stuff, if we can be happy, if we can have a great culture, if we can deliver value to the marketplace, all of that stuff is wonderful. But I'm in business to make money. And so do you put, do you look at a guy like me as saying I'm shallow or, and by the way, I'm totally fine with it if you said that, because there's no question there's selfishness to it, there's shallowness to it. There is all of that to it. Um, I just think it's a fair trade. But do you do you do you say that I'm missing I'm missing out on some of it? That I'm I'm probably leaving money on the table because I don't have a larger purpose. And, and the reason I ask that is because I know a lot of guys who say that about me. One of my closest friends says that. Yeah. So here's what I would say, and and this is part of our model. So 
if you look at any of our strategy documents, you'll see the same thing. I mean, margin is our number one priority. If there's not margin, none of the other crap matters, right? Yeah. If, if there's not profit in the business, well, we can't do all the other stuff. So if you look at our strategy documents, you see the same thing, that margin is number one priority and we have you know specific margin targets. The, the point that I think we would differ in is, uh, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've, have you ever heard of the triple bottom line? No. Okay, well, so it's it's this idea that that here's uh, profitability and here's uh, value and here's kind of corporate good and there are three different buckets that an organization is trying for. Is that sort of like um, like um, um, compassionate capitalism? Yeah, so, so it, there's a lot of different corporate citizenship, compassionate capitalism, all of those different things. But here's the distinction that, that I want to get to is so many people view those as three different buckets. And so when you're looking at them as, profitability, value creation, and corporate citizenship as three different buckets, you're saying that your resources have to diverge <clears throat> have to diverge at some point. And that's difficult to justify if profitability is your number one responsibility to say, well, now I have to diverge resources to different buckets that may not be profitability. So the way that we look at it, and this is the key distinction, is rather than it being three different buckets, we identify and find the value piece that will produce profitability. So it's not about trying to do three different things. It's about trying to create a plan that says, no, this value piece, corporate citizenship, compassion, whatever you want to call it, this value piece actually produces more profit. And that's the piece that you have to buy into and identify for your organization in order to really buy into that idea and do it. If, it, if you view it as three different buckets, well, I'm like everybody else. I'm going to go for profitability every day of the week. But if I can see that the value piece actually produces more profitability, then I go after that. And that's where we, we call it an integrated bottom line. So I'm down with what you're talking about. And I imagine that there's data that supports that, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I've actually seen the other side of it as well, in which when we were only profit focused, right, and didn't care about company culture, uh, we didn't care about happiness in the work environment, we didn't hear, care about quality of equipment for our people to be more successful or less tired at work, changing out lights, all that sort of stuff. We were actually less profitable. And when we began to enjoy to, to embrace all that sort of stuff, even like right now with the food drive that we have going on and uh, community events that we do and things of that nature, it seems as though the profitability did increase. But I don't know what case studies really prove that. Do you have specific data that says this triple bottom line is actually a better play for a business than just a single bottom line of the typical bottom line profits? Uh, absolutely. And actually, just a, a point of clarification, I, I preach against triple bottom line I, because that's the divergent idea. I preach a, an integrated bottom line because it has to be the same thing. It can't be three different buckets that you're diverging resources to. So, because, so, so the integrated bottom line, that could be more than three then. It could absolutely, and but here's so here's a really specific example. It's an organization called Holman, uh, out of uh, Denmark, I think. Um, they are a uh, they produce wood products, so they produce paper, cardboard boxes, those kind of things, relying on cutting down trees, right? And so uh, the model generally, if you're going to produce that kind of product, is to go buy trees somewhere. Literally, you go to the Forest Service or you know some government entity and you buy, you know 
2,000 acres of trees, they price it out and they say, we estimate in those 2,000 acres, X number of trees exist and you're going to pay, you know, five bucks per tree and they create a, a figure. So it's, you know, we're going to pay $20 million to go cut down, you know, these uh, 2,000 acres of trees. That's how most people approach it. But there's obviously a sustainability factor there, right? When you're cutting down all these trees, who's reproducing them, who's growing them. So Holman, and in an integrated bottom line, said there's got to be a better way that we can do this and protect the environment, but also produce more profit. So what Holman did is they went, they went and they bought all of their own land. So they acquire land, massive amounts of land, and they have a system of how they cut all of those parts of land so that they're always regrowing more than they're cutting. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not just a matter of environmental sustainability. It's sustainability for their very business model because now they know they will always have a product to cut. They don't have to fight regulations and a whole bunch of other people because it's their own land and they're producing greater profits because they're not having to acquire all of this, these trees from somewhere else, deal with you know somebody who cares about the owls of Norway and all of this other stuff. So to me, you know, that is an example, a case study of Look, when we integrate it, again, it's not divergent. It's saying by doing this, we're actually producing, we're creating a system for a more sustainable business. And I don't mean sustainable environmentally, that is the case, but sustainable meaning that their business will be will exist long beyond some other business that's that's relying on the forest service to give them trees to cut down. But how do you go in and consult a company that did it all wrong? Right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, you know, that's a that's a great client for you. Because there's a lot of work for you to go in there and really do a lot of unwinding and re-recording of the tapes and all that sort of stuff. But in reality, how do you, what would be the top three or four things that you would consult a company who 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 built was built wrong, and how do they go in and torch it and do it again? Yeah. So the first thing is to really just pause everything, and I mean not not actually stop business operations, but pause the way you're thinking about your business. And, and create what I call, and they use this in the social sector a lot, what I call a theory of change. And it's just mapping out what are all of the steps that are gonna get to what your organization really wants. And you might end up with three or four of those theories of change, and that will help you see a variety of models that can ultimately produce what you want. But too many people run into it, and that's where they get to this place where they've done it all wrong. They just run into it and they say, uh, you know, if we, satisfy customers, we're going to make more money, but it's not sustainable because customer sentiments and mentalities and things change and shift. And so they're constantly chasing this idea of customer experience versus actually mapping out a long-term sustainable change process that says our customers, our people have to experience this, our business has to do this. And so we map that out. And then what we do is we take that, that mapped out theory of change, how they think they're going to get here. And we lay it up against how they're currently doing things. And so it may not be this massive shift where the organization totally pivots, but it may be, oh, here's a few key things that we can change today that will help us get to where we really want to be. I want to be very supportive of what you do. I really <laughs> do because, and I, and I, I want to, because I went through this, right? I mean, we torched our business a few years ago and we rebuilt it on company culture and core value and mission statement, right? But I was only able to do that after we got to 100 million bucks a year, right? That when our coffers were full. So how do you do it when you're busted ass broke? 
whether you're a small business or a big business, how do you have the guts to go in and torch it and rebuild it when you can't afford to lose a client? It's probably the best question anybody has asked me about this. So first off, because it's real. I mean, that's that's the only question I was asking myself was how the hell would we do this? This torch process that we went through if we were busted. And the reality is we wouldn't. Well, and so the thing is that, look, it's when we're going through this process, we're not just identifying something that sounds and looks good on paper. We're identifying something that will legitimately produce more money for the business in a sustainable way. And so the first piece is to recognize that, yes, there's an expense involved, but you're all, if you're broke, you're already dealing with an expense of stress and anxiety and holy crap, I just lost my biggest customer, all of those things. But the end result is literally a system and a structure that's going to produce more money. It's not like, and we're not looking at something that says, yeah, this will produce more money in 25 years. We're saying, well, what's the system I can put in place that will actually create more value and produce more money right away? And we're doing that. And then we're taking the small steps. So if you know if you're broke, you're not going to invest, you know, four hundred thousand dollars into a shift when your business is only producing fifty thousand dollars of profit. But we can do small steps that literally the day that we change them, they start producing more value and money for the mm-hmm. business mm-hmm. by either cutting costs or increasing revenue. And so, you know, again, I'm not looking at, yeah, in 25 years, this will provide a return to you. I mean, that is part of it. But I'm also looking at, yeah, you need you need to be able to pay your people in two weeks. Um, and so that's part of the process. So I think this is very important for, for, for particularly for the audience to get their hands around because – I think the way we started the conversation was big companies, conscious capitalism, solving big world problems. And my life has never been about that. In fact, I hate most of those guys, right? My life is an underdog mentality, always fighting against the entitled, always fighting against the rich, always fighting against country club mentality and all that sort of stuff. By the way, that is, that is just who I am. As much as I want to remove it from my DNA, I can't. I try, I try to think like those people, and it just doesn't work for me. So my audience is primarily scrappers, alley cat kind of people. And so now I think you and I are moving on the same page here because because if your business isn't doing well, it has no implication on the fact that you can't go to Home Depot and buy three gallons of colorful paint and tape off the area paint it yourself over the weekend with your kids and have a little pizza painting party and your employee base walks in and sees a new environment and the entire thing costs you 60 bucks. So do you get that granular about these concepts of, of changing and pivoting or is your stuff much more expensive to do? Uh, well, I'll say that my, our current clients are much more exp- expensive shifts. I mean, we're talking about, you know, hundreds of million dollars investments, those kind of things with our typical clients. But in terms of an executive coaching kind of role, when I'm talking about this stuff, absolutely, it gets very granular. granular. And it connects, to to your point, it connects a lot of these kind of real world situations where it's not just my business, right? When you're a, a small business owner, there's not a distinction between what's the business and what's your personal life. It's all just the same thing. And so at that level, when it's in an executive coaching format, then absolutely we get very granular. Uh, you know, I can't tell you how many people I've worked with, small business owners who I'm constantly preaching to them, look, you got to get rid of the BMW if you want to, you know, if you, you can't be telling me about how stressed you are about money and then, you know, yeah. be driving 
a car that's got an $800 payment on it. Um, and so it gets very granular and personal. You know, I, I tell people, look, why are you taking the vacation? I get that you want to get away, but do a, a staycation or something, you know? So yes, it gets very granular and it gets into the personal stuff because like I said, as a, as a scrappy small business owner, there's not a distinction between what's my business and what's my personal life. Yeah. As you, as you know, this though, I, just for clarification for the audience, um, what Kyle was just talking about of, of small business owners who, who don't have a differentiator between, you know, personal and business, that in itself is a mistake. Whether you're a large business or a small business, there should always be differentiation between whether you are the business or the business can exist without you from day one when you are the first employee. It should never be based on you. It should always be based on a problem being solved and systems being in place that can be replicated by other people long after you're gone. Everybody in small business gets that wrong. And I think, I think you're, you're, that's what you were saying. I just wanted to give a little bit more granularity to the audience on that. Does, does your strategy, Kyle, start with the employees buying into the pivot and the change? Or is it the marketplace? Who has to say, I'm, I'm, I'm good with this push? Uh, well, so our, our process starts by involving a lot of people. It's not just me sitting in a room and mapping out this theory for people that says, if we do these six things or whatever it is, it's going to produce this result. That's not, I'm not the one telling people that I'm facilitating that process. And so we have, when we do that process, if it's, you know, again, a lot of our clients are, are large Fortune 500 clients. When we do that process, it's the CEO, it's, you know, some, some other C-level executives, it's middle-level managers, it's store associates. So there are a lot of people in the room helping make those decisions versus making a decision and then trying to convince everybody this is the right decision. And so there are a lot of different voices that get involved in that process so that we don't have to go back out and say, hey, the, the CEO made this decision. Now you, you know, get on board or, or get off the ship. It's, uh, it's not really that process. It's really getting a lot of people involved. So we hear a lot of voices because look, it, it doesn't matter what level you are in the organization, unless you're the one on the ground doing the work, you're not going to have the same level of insight. So you got to have a lot of people providing input to that process. But don't some people in those meetings have a lot of stock options? And they're like, man, listen, I only need 10 years before the house is paid for, the kids are out of college, I'm fully retired, and I can get out of here. Why do we have to jack with this with my, my options? Can't we just wait and let it go to the next generation so it fucks up their options and not mine? Yes, but again, that's that's the integrated piece. I mean, we're literally showing them if you make these decisions, here's how much money you're going to save. Here's how much more profit you're going to have. Here's how sustainable the business is going to be. And so it, we're literally showing them by making these decisions, you are putting yourself in a better financial position and you're creating more value. All right, but, give me one. Give me one that every small business owner, I know you got large clients, but give me one that every small business owner should be making right now. One thing that they should be doing to move themselves in this integrated bottom line mindset versus this very linear, like I have, profit-based bottom line. Um, so I would say, uh, <laughs> that's another great question. Um one thing that every small business owner could do. Uh, I would say how you reinvest your money. So it, when you have, uh, you know, when you have whatever it is, maybe you're operating at 20% profitability. So whatever that dollar figure is, whether it's $20,000 or it's $2 million, you're operating at 20%, allocate a specific percent to some marketable 
good effort. So probably your community. So I would say uh, you've got twenty thousand dollars. Let's you know maybe you're making a hundred thousand dollars profit, uh, and you would allocate five percent. So I would say take five thousand dollars and say how can I invest in my community that reflects on my business that's not distinct and separate from my business. I'm not going to go you know. Uh, you know, if I'm a if I'm a carpet cleaner, I'm not going to go sponsor some you know little league baseball game that has nothing to do with me. I'm going to go out and I'm going to say, look, uh, I've got five thousand dollars to invest in the community. What connects to carpet cleaning that matters in the community? So maybe I'm investing in in I'm going to spend five thousand dollars cleaning some HUD housing, something that connects to your actual business. And that's where people make the mistake is again, it's an integrated bottom line. It's not about just investing in this stuff that feels good and sounds good. It's about investing in things that really connect to your business. So, and that's how you make more profit from it. So I'm selfish. I'm trying to go through my mind and say, what could we do? We're in the heavy equipment financing. We finance trucks, bulldozers, big rigs, tow trucks, semi trucks, that sort of stuff. And when you're saying that, of course, what am I doing? I'm a selfish guy. I'm saying to myself, what could we be doing? Because by the way, we sponsor the Little League. We sponsor the golf tournaments. We do all that silliness, right? And I really just do that in all frankness to appease my employee who's asking, right? Um, I just don't feel like fighting over a $250 golf sponsorship, right? Um, right. So I just say yes to that silliness. I say yes to the swag bags and, and the, 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 the bags and the hats and all that silliness, right? I just don't feel like jacking with the decision even. But it has no connection. So what I'm hearing you is saying we should go out and buy a delivery truck for Habitat for Humanity or the, or the local soup kitchen. And we should just ring out the advertising connection to that that says commercial fleet financing just bought a new $20,000 delivery truck secured, you know, lockable. So nobody steals the materials or the food out of the back um, delivery truck for Dallas, uh, you know, food, Dallas food shelter. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. Well, absolutely. So think about, I'm not saying that's the only right thing you could do. Right. But think about, you know, how much is $20,000 of little league advertising going to get you versus $20,000 of what you just said? Yeah. And so, yeah. And on top of, you know, what you're getting in terms of advertising, guess what else? You're actually doing something good. right? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And people would dig that. But see, here's, I would have requirements for that. So let me tell you how I would negotiate that deal with the Can Academy or whatever the food bank, right? I would say, listen, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a truck. It's going to be a low mileage truck. It's going to be perfectly maintained. In fact, we'll pay all the maintenance on it. So the the organization doesn't have to pay a nickel out of it. Um, And then I'm going to logo out the truck. I'm going to wrap it. And it's going to say powered by commercial fleet financing in partnership with the Can Academy, all that sort of stuff. I'm going to ring out my logo and my name every time you guys make a delivery. Does that discount or shortchange the charity? Because we're actually promoting ourselves through it? No, I think it's how you position it, right? If if you just position it as, hey, this is just for advertising, then yeah, it discounts it. But if you position it as, look, we can make a profit and do good at the same time, then no, it doesn't discount it because you're saying, look, we're, we're doing, it doesn't matter whether the logo's on there or not, the good that's being done is happening. So the logo doesn't discount the good that's being done. And so it's how you position it. If you frame it as, Hey, we're only doing this for the advertising. Well, sure, it's going to discount it. But if you frame it as, look, the good's still there, regardless of what the truck's wrapped in, 
then, uh, then no, I don't think it discounts it. Mm. And yeah. that's the point, right? The point is that, look, you, you talk about being scrappy and, and fighting against kind of the man and those kind of things. Well, part of this is fighting against the mentality that uh, good can only be good if it's anonymous and humble and all of this other BS. Well, no, if, if you're helping people out, you're helping people out. I don't care if you're standing at the top of the mountain talking about how amazing you are. Yeah. If you just helped 500 people out, you help 500 people out. And so part of it is fighting against that mentality. And I would say that that is one piece that I have to fight against in terms of this mentality from the social sector that, well, it's only good if it's anonymous and your only motivation is to do good. No, that's BS. If it's good, it's good. I don't care whether the person, like I said, you know, stands on the top of the mountain and says, I'm the greatest person in the world. If they help 500 people out, they did that. Dude, I really like what you're talking about here. And I'm glad that we were able to sort of break it down because now what I'm taking from this, by the way, if that food bank or whatever said, no, we won't accept your truck with a logo, I'd say, no problem. I'll go to your competition. Absolutely. I'll, I'll continue to go down the food chain of the food chain until somebody takes my truck with my logo on it. Right? Yep. I mean, Absolutely. that's exactly how that would play out. And that's the integrated piece, right? If it wasn't integrated, you'd say, well, we'll still go with them. But it's integrated because you're, you're, you have to be getting something out of it. Yeah, I it like that. It can't just be divergent. Dude, I like what you're talking about there. I mean, I, I really, really, really do. And I think it's important for everybody who's listening who are entrepreneurs, young hustlers, got businesses, trying to figure out, uh, number one, look, we torched our business for a number of reasons. But one of them was that we, I could tell there was just a dis, just a downright unhappiness around the office, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. the primary goal of getting to 100 million was mine, right? Everybody else was like, whatever, I don't care whether we do 70 or 80, right? I mean, it's fine. We're we're doing well, and now we have these bigger initiatives that you really begin to see people connect with far more so than their paycheck on Fridays. And so what I love about what you're doing is that all of it can be done. In fact, there's, in my opinion, it all should be done. Yep. And, and I am without question, I mean, we just had our morning scrum this morning. Uh, last week, uh, we, we funded another 5.5 million for the week, which is our second $5 million week of the year which is only second to the two six million dollar weeks. Now, if you if you were to annualize that, you're pushing three hundred million bucks. And when we torched the company, we were doing hundred and thirteen. So, wow. and that was roughly two years ago we completed the torch. So, right. so there's no question that a happier employee base, connected to culture, mission statement, core values, contributing back to the marketplace having a better understanding of that the company's willing to spend money to go back into these certain things, whether it's upgrades within the company, whether it's paint the walls, whether it's get the carpets cleaned, that should make more money. It is this integrated bottom line. The challenge, my friend, is most people are broke in their small businesses. They're not making as much money as they should as the owner. They should have stayed as an employee somewhere else. And they made that move because they thought they, they had to face, they had to follow, you know, everybody on social media and be an entrepreneur. It was a mistake. The number two person at Facebook is worth billions and nobody's ever heard of them, right? Yep. Um, and so then, they, and then they're stuck. And they're like, man, I can't do anything because I need, I need every ounce of profit just to pay my damn bills, to make my wife happy because she's grinding on my ass all day long that we didn't, we're doing less well now that we're the owners than we were before. And my challenge to everybody listening 
is you got to fight against that. And you have to build this integrated bottom line that, that Kyle's talking about here. And you have to do it relentlessly. What's your opinion of that monologue I just gave? Uh, I 100% support it. So it reminds me, and I use this quote all of the time, but my first thought, it, it's a little bit separate and I'll get back to this, but my first thought was, uh, it's an old quote. It says, you should appreciate the old folks because they give us a sure knowledge that things can be endured. And, and the reason that matters is whatever position you're in as an entrepreneur, guess what? You're not the first guy to be there or the first girl to be there. Uh, so many people before you have sat in the same place and thought at night, you know, holy crap, another night of ramen. And I don't know where, what, you know, how I'm going to pay my power bill or whatever it is. Look, you're not the first person to be there. There have been plenty of other people that have been there. And guess what? In 20 years, they're, they're, they're somewhere else, right? It's not going to end your life. The fact that you're struggling with finances and you're putting in, you know, 150 hour weeks, it's not going to end your life. You'll get through it. So that's my first thought. Uh, the second thought is exactly what you said. You, look, you're in the position you're in for some reason, for, for, for the way you operated. One of the things I tell people is your life, your business is perfectly designed to get the results that you're getting. So I want to repeat that. Your business is perfectly designed to get the results that you're getting. So guess what? It's You cannot, you simply cannot keep doing the same things and think that the results are going to be different because you've designed a system that's giving you the results that you're getting. So if you want different results, guess what? You're going to have to take a pause. You're going to have to get into that anxiety and stress. You're going to have to embrace it for a little while and just make the changes that are going to produce different results. I mean, it's the, it's what you got to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no doubt about it. But that, that, that's, a, that's a given. I do just want to stay on this integrated bottom line one more time because because it's clearly what your mission is. It's clearly the, the, the mantra that you and your team are working under. And I'm in complete congruence with you on that. Like, but again, two years ago, I would have been like, whatever, dude, right? Yeah. I don't care about any of it. And to be honest with you, I still don't care about any of it uh, if it ain't making me money. <laughs> but I know without a shadow of a doubt and I would fight anybody on the spot if they were to say that the, the goal of achieving money only is more profitable than the goal of achieving money with employee happiness, community happiness, giving back to what you call this integrated bottom line. The integrated bottom line is a more profitable strategy than a profit-only strategy. Period. Yes. Yes. And here's where people are going to make a mistake. And I guarantee somebody who's listening to this, who's a small business owner is going to do this. And I'm telling you right now, don't do it. Somebody's going to say, well, I just got to do good. I got to give back. That's the piece. And that's not what I'm saying. It's exactly what you're saying. It's an integrated bottom line. Look, just doing good and throwing money out there to somebody is not an integrated bottom line. You have to identify, you have to sit down and think, what's the good I could do that would align with the business I'm in and could lead to potential more profit versus just saying, yeah, I got to go, you know, throw money to little legal, or I've got to go make a donation here. Or I've got to, you know, go donate some time here. No, don't just run out and try to do something that may be very well intended and may be good, but has nothing to do with your business. Sit down and ask yourself, what can I do that will actually align with my business? How can I leverage the resources that I have in my business to do good and then ask yourself, how does that connect to greater profitability? If you can't make the connection, don't do it. 
you know, not all good is created equal for your business. There's a specific good that will actually produce more profit for your business. You've got to find that piece. Yeah, dude, I'm glad we met. I'm really glad we met. Well, thank you. And I think the audience needs to understand who Kyle is as well, because what you're talking about is is the real deal. And it is absolutely the movement of the future um, because we have to solve this hiring problem. And the hiring problem that we have is that in a good economy, it's very hard to find good people anyway. But even the new mindset of a lot of these, everyone's calling the millennials, whatever you want to call it. I disagree with the idea that millennials feel entitled. I find a lot of millennials have a tremendous amount of hustle that they want to move up the food chain. They want to do better, but they actually want an integrated life. They're not willing to do it for just the sake of a paycheck. They want all. And the employer has a greater responsibility to figure that shit out and deliver it to grow the business and find great people. Because once you do it, great people will come to you. And by the way, there's a lot of great people who want to do great good and get paid. Yep. Yeah. So it's a pleasure to meet you, Kyle. Thanks for being on the You Need More Money podcast, my friend. I look forward to seeing you down the road. Thanks so much, Matt. appreciate it. You got it. That's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 p.m. Central as we discuss money, your life, and how you need more money.